And I'm Colleen. And we combined have lived in Iraq for... 11 years. We get a lot of questions about life in Iraq. And we decided that the best way to address those questions is to do a little podcast. So we're going to answer some questions that are really common. The ones we get asked all the time. Yeah, because apparently it's a weird thing to live in Iraq. Who knew? Yeah, strange. So this week we're going to be talking about our first year of teaching in Iraq. Um, And this was suggested to us via email from Julia. So thanks, Julia, for the suggestion. Hopefully we answer some of your questions. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit of a challenge, though, because... As we've been talking about this, we realized that a lot of the things that were odd for us in our first year teaching in Iraq are really hard for us to remember as odd, because after being there for quite a few years, all of those things seem really normal. Right. I feel like I had some some new teammates come in that were like, I don't understand this. I don't understand that. And I was like, what? This is the way that all schools function, because I didn't teach in a, in a school before moving to Iraq. So it was like my first time teaching ever. And yeah, I didn't teach in a traditional like everyday school before teaching in Iraq either. I taught kind of at a once a week like school co-op kind thing. of thing. Yeah. And so even my experience with the ways a school is organized or functions, I didn't have a lot of expectations built up about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think we had some some similar experiences to people who are first-year teachers in the U.S., mm-hmm. but definitely some that were wildly different. <laughs> yeah. For example, my first day teaching, first class of the day, first time teaching ever, um, I walk into the classroom, I'm teaching sixth grade, and it is a classroom of 56 sixth graders. Now... Most of the classes you taught were not 56 kids. No. Like, that was two classes of sixth graders, yeah, right? it was two groups of sixth graders that they combined because they figured they could teach them, like, college style in one large group, and they would learn better. And it was a, a terrible experience, a terrible experiment, too, that lasted <laughs> half the year. I think they, they made it through the first semester, And then the second semester, they were like, nope, we're going to put all the kindergartners over there. The sixth graders caused too much trouble, which was true. (laughs) Um, So what class were you teaching that first period? I was teaching art, um, which I am not, I I can be crafty, but I'm not an art person. Okay. Um, I'm not very artistic at all. And so I was already kind of like, Eh, I don't know how this is going to work. And then I also didn't have any art supplies. So, like, I didn't have an art room with paint and craft supplies and, like, art curriculum. It was just, like, teach them things. Art. So I, in my my ignorance, decided that we were going to learn origami. (laughs) I guess you had paper. Because we had paper, yeah. And I was like, this is the only craft I can think of aside from, like, cutting out snowflakes, but I don't have scissors, so origami it is. Um, And if you've ever learned or tried to teach origami, like, it takes a lot of focus and very carefully following of instructions. That sounds like it would have been a fantastic thing for those kids to learn. 
maybe, (laughs) maybe for some of them, I feel like maybe seven kids learned some origami. But like just learning to follow directions? Yes. I mean, because that's one of the big things I struggled with in my first year. I I will say they did see the consequence of not following directions quickly. It was also good for me in that I learned that I had to give very clear and exact directions Mm. I couldn't just say, fold the paper in half. It was like, okay, here's your piece of paper. You're going to fold the top corner to the bottom, the opposite bottom corner to make a triangle. This is what you should have. Hold it up so I can see. I mean, we got some things done. Like, I think we started with making just like an origami pig face, which is like five (laughs) folds or something. You would have had to pick a pig face for your first <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a good choice, but it was the <laughs> simplest one that I could find. And I had some kids that eventually learned to like make a crane and we made little jumping frogs, jumping which were pretty frogs cool. Are the best. But I also, because it was an art class, it's a pass fail class. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have like the power of grades. Yeah. Because they are all going to pass regardless of how they behave or how they do in that class. It's a major motivator, that yeah. grades thing there. Yeah, so basically I had to run the classroom by force of personality. Hmm. Well, it's a good thing you have a forceful personality. (laughs) I do, but I was still, like, new and timid enough that there were definitely kids that were like, oh yeah, we can just do whatever we want and she can't do anything about it. That's the only group of kids that ever made me cry in frustration. Oh... Not the first day. I mean, okay. the first semester, really, we got on pretty well. Um, it was the second semester. We were trying to build castles. Mm. And just, like, I couldn't get anyone to listen to me. I couldn't get them to do anything. And they were just basically doing whatever. Like, the whole class was doing whatever they wanted to as loudly as possible. Yeah. And I was just like, I can't deal with this. And I ended up actually walking out of the classroom into the teacher's room and getting the PE teacher to go in. And, like, I can't, I just can't deal with them anymore. Oh, no. Um, what did the PE teacher do? Well, he's a Brazilian guy that I, I had made pretty good friends with. And he saw that, like, I was near, in or near tears. And he was like, I will take care of it. No problem. And he just, like, went in there and, like, chewed them out. Which is not what I intended at all. But I also wasn't sad that it happened. So I opted the next year not to teach that group of students. Because I was like, they have seen my weakness. I will get no respect (laughs) now. Yeah, my first day of school was also very exciting. It wasn't my first real experience in the school because I got there earlier in the summer and had spent some time doing, like, helping with administrative stuff. We were in administration Mm. then. I was thrown into rooms with people and told to interview them and, (laughs) and, like, decide if they were a good teacher and... When you had never seen when I'd how the never seen runs. how the school really ran, or That's... to interview these these kids and like figure out like what grade they should go in. When I was mm-hmm. like, I don't really know how the grades work here, right. and I I kept being told like, you know, oh, you're the expert, you know, you're the American expert, and you're you're the one who's supposed to know how to do all of this and I was like I haven't the foggiest idea I just graduated from college yeah that's 
again, so typically a rock, but yeah, completely overwhelming for their first time ever teaching. Yeah. And so by the time we got up to like the first day of school starting, I had become pretty familiar with the school, the other teachers, met a lot of the students, but I was still so nervous about Mm -hmm. like standing in front of that classroom for the first time. And I just remember physically shaking that morning, like with nervousness, which is weird because I'm not usually that nervous, Mm -hmm. but this was just, oh, this is a big new thing. Fortunately or unfortunately, I didn't have to teach that day. Oh. oh, Yeah, my first day of school was also very exciting. We um, carpooled to school um, because it was a good 20 minutes away from our house. And Mm -hmm. so one of the other teachers came and picked me and someone else up. And while we're in the car, he got a call from some of the school administrators saying, Oh, by the way, we thought you should know there's been a little fire in the school in the office and some some things were burned, but it's okay. And he's like relaying that information to us and we keep driving and about like, okay, fine. Like a trash can fire. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. And about five minutes later, he gets another call. Oh, well, you know, we just thought we should call the fire department. And so, (laughs) you know, I want to let you know the fire department is here. Uh And, and you know, like, there were a lot of things that were burned in the office. So I just want to make you aware of that. Not and a trash like, can fire. <laughs> not a trash can fire. They called the fire department. Okay. Five minutes later, like we're getting closer and closer to the school at this point, but he gets another ca- call and says, you know, like the fire, a lot of things have been damaged in this, this fire. I just, I thought you should know the fire department's leaving now though. So it's all okay. Right. So we passed the fire trucks exiting the school driveway, mm-hmm. and we drive in, and, you know, from the outside, it's a concrete building. Right. It doesn't really gonna, like, burn to the ground. look like much. Out of some of the windows, you can see, like, little streaks of soot at the top, mm-hmm. like, where smoke maybe damage. smoke damage had come out. Yeah, so we parked in the parking lot, and we walk around and we you know other teachers and people are there and milling around everybody's outside nobody's inside and we're like so what's going on and they're like we think we should cancel school today (laughs) and we walk in like yes yes we're going to have to cancel school today (laughs) because the entire like building has practically been gutted the whole building I mean the plaster on the walls and the ceiling is falling down. Oh, no. Every plastic item in the whole building, like every split, every clock, is sagging with how <laughs> hot they got. Like, they, they, oh, no. they've got these big smiley faces of sagging uh-huh. plastic that has oh. melted in this fire. Like, these, the entire surface of every indoor place is, is black. I mean, the desks were okay. Mm-hmm. The books that had been put out on all of the desks were just covered in a thick layer of soot. They didn't burn. Praise God. Yeah, because um, no books. No books is no a school. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, not necessarily. Exactly. Yeah, I know. We'll okay. get to that story. Yeah. <laughs> There's no, no way we're having school in this building today. Mm-hmm. Like, it is an absolute wreck. It's still smoking. Like, the fire department left, and it's still 
smoking. Yikes. And it probably did start in the office. Uh-huh. So, you know, some of those pieces of the original story and the way that Middle Easterners or Kurds, like, break bad news slowly. Right, right. We're playing a part. But, yeah, we went through and we, I mean, it was probably not the smartest thing to do, but we went through and picked through stuff and pulled out salvageable things and we picked up all the books and then kids start arriving because they don't know. No one has called their parents. And you don't even have a real way to call all their parents because guess where the files are? In the burned school office. Yeah. Good point. (laughs) I mean, what are you going to do? Somehow or other, I don't, I mean, I wasn't the person who organized this. Somebody organized it. Like, we pulled all of the books out of the classrooms and set them up on tables in the parking lot. And as kids arrived, they got their information, their contact information, and we issued them these plastic sacks of sooty books. Mm -hmm. So much soot. And like, here, here are your books. Try to clean them off. Be careful. Don't use too much water, you know? Mm -hmm. But like, what else are we going to do with them? Right. And so, yeah, study some on your own, and we'll contact you about when we start a class again. I will say, I think that day cured me mm-hmm. of first day of school jitters. Sure. I like, What could be worse? I never was <laughs> nervous about teaching, ever, oh, after man. that. And I know people who get nervous, like, every year, the very mm-hmm. first day of school. And, like, that one, it just took care of it for me. Yeah. Like... And so, yeah, the weeks after that, we, um, because it was going to take a while to, you know, redo all the plaster and Mm -hmm. everything. Oh, the computers. Computers were in really bad shape. I've never, I never knew that you could just melt a computer hole. It's kind of terrifying. Yeah, that Um, seems very, like, very dystopian. It was. To walk into. It was very dystopian feeling. The next few weeks, we started holding classes in one of my teammates' houses in, like, multiple shifts. And so we had, like, a 6.30 to noon shift and then, like, a 12.30 Which to 7 shift. Which was just, like, shift. certain grades? Yeah. So we had, like, two 6th grade classes and a 5th grade class in the morning and, like, three days a week. Mm-hmm. And then... 7th and 8th and ninth grade, or the 8th and ninth grades, like, in the afternoon, I think they were every day, and then, like, mm-hmm. another few grades that were three days a week on the off days, and right. it was so insane. A little bit chaotic. Oh, yeah, way more than a little bit chaotic. But, yes. yeah, it meant that, actually, my first day of, of teaching, I was substitute teaching for another class entirely that I had no preparation for. I mean, that also is not unusual. <laughs> But, I mean, like, probably oh, not in your here's a book. teammate's living room. Yeah. I never did that again. I wouldn't recommend it. Right. It made it really hard for that teammate when he did come. Because mm-hmm. he came a little later. Um, and so he came and, like, flew in in the middle of the night and woke up the next morning to, um. like, three classrooms of children <laughs> on his first floor. <laughs> I'm not really sure anyone warned him. <laughs> it was rough. Yes. <laughs> Welcome, you start now. It's like, have oh, you had breakfast man. yet? No, too bad. You have Jet to walk lag. through class before you can get to your kitchen. Jet lag doesn't work here. Sorry, not sorry. So, yeah, I mean, I would say once we moved back into the school, I got all cleaned up. They painted the entire interior Pepto-Bismol pink. Walls, Yay. ceiling, the, the 
blinds on the windows were pink. The whole room, <laughs> every room, glowed pink. Like like got it on a discount or something? Probably. There were a lot of things that ended up pink around the same time. So, But there was also a rumor that one of the spouse of one of the decision makers really liked the color pink. And that oh. she had a... She had an influence An influence in it. In it. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that um, was a big adjustment for me but then wasn't, um, but is a much bigger adjustment, especially for people who have taught in the U.S., Mm -hmm. is that you don't have your own classroom. The kids don't rotate from classroom to classroom. The teachers do. Mm -hmm. So the kids are in the same room all day, and so they're not coming into your turf. Right. You're going into theirs. and yeah. like They definitely have an ownership of that space. Right. And whatever mood the previous teacher has left them in, like, it's almost harder to overcome because they're like, mm-hmm. yeah, this is our space. We can do whatever we want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was hard because I feel like a lot of the teaching books I read were about, like, establishing your classroom and, like, creating a seating chart and having like these things in your room that you can use as like clues for things that they're supposed to be doing and it was just like whatever is in my classroom is what I carry in there right so like I don't get to have like a chore chart or a seating chart or even get to decide where the kids sit to some extent unless I I can get all the other teachers of that grade to agree with me I didn't actually struggle with that as much. I mean, the definitely the space mm-hmm. issue and definitely feeling like they had ownership of that space. But I was able to come up with and make the kids sit in my seating chart. I'm like, yeah. I don't care what the other teachers do. You got to sit in my seating chart regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, I and just, it was hard. It was hard to enforce at first. But mm-hmm. certainly, again, that force of personality right. eventually. And it was always easier with the younger students right. than with the older students. Yeah, and I will say, I mean, I taught sixth grade art my first year and fourth grade literature, which was an experience in and of itself. Because when I was initially teaching anyway, and it might be slightly better now, but probably not, I was just given a stack of books that Mm -hmm. are like, these are the books that you will be teaching. Mm -hmm. And that was the only guidelines (laughs) I was given. I mean, I will say, there is more... Right. In the, like, original curriculum sent over, but it doesn't get kept very well. Right. In some ways, like, in some ways for me and my personality, that was great because it was like, oh, here are a million things that we can do. I could see how having no plan, though, would be really intimidating. Um, The problem I fell into more so was I was expecting my students to be at fourth grade level, American level. Mm -hmm. And they're really more at like low third grade, second grade. Right. In their ability to like follow direction and do work on their own or... Or even even sometimes understanding English. Understanding English, yeah. I definitely had several kids that were much less than fluent. And there's definitely a different, you know, level that... They they do, I think a lot of them do catch up to, mm-hmm. in high school, right. um, what you would find equivalent to American high school levels yeah, absolutely. by the time they get there. But at those earlier levels, I mean, they start out with kindergarten and first grade, and they're practically like trilingual classes mm-hmm. with Kurdish, Arabic, and English all right. being learned and spoken, and the alphabets and numbers and colors and all the languages. Yeah. 
But I think that was an a, an adjustment of just expectation. Mm-hmm. Like having having gone to public school in the U.S., having this expectation of what an American school looks like, and then getting there and realizing, no, like even <sighs> though I never taught in a classroom, this is not the classroom experience I'm used to having. Right. Um, another part of that is the books. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think this is one aspect that's getting a little better. It is. It is getting better. Um, but because all of the curriculum, most of the curriculum for literature especially, gets shipped from the U.S., if it gets delayed along the way, they still have to start school whether they have the books or not. Or whether they have enough books. Because at this right. point, they generally have some of the book for mm-hmm. each class, but maybe... Not enough for all of the students. Yeah. And they have started printing books mm-hmm. in Iraq. Um, well, in a lot of the workbooks, they've done that for a long time. But sometimes even those got delayed. Right. Or, like, I ran into this several times. They would be missing pages. Mm. Like, they would just misprint and have, like... I think I had one kid whose book had all the even pages together and all the odd pages together. Like, they weren't... And it was just like, I am so sorry. I will get you a new book. (laughs) Because it's like, what do I do with this? But there were other kids who would just miss a page, and I'd be like, I don't have any more books. You're just going to have to listen. Sorry. (laughs) Read your neighbors for a Mm -hmm. moment. Yeah. I mean, because there was one year where the books came in October, Mm -hmm. and... (laughs) That was, weirdly, the year I was teaching economics. Mm -hmm. I'd never taken an economics class, but neither had any of the Iraqi teachers, and I at least could understand the textbook, you know? So I was going to teach the economics class, and we didn't have any books for over, like, half the class. Like, Mm -hmm. at all. Like, there were no books. And so I'm sitting there, like, getting resources from, you know, the team here in Nashville and, like, things that they can find that they can send me digitally and... Like, here, here are some ideas about things you can teach. <laughs> Yay! The kids are like, where are my books? I'm like, I don't got books for you, sorry. Sorry, sorry, kid. And so, I mean, just imagine all of those things, and you still have to run a classroom of 20-plus kids. Wow, well, I had 32 in one of my classes one year. Sixth graders also. <laughs> They're a challenge. They are. And I feel like you have to get creative with classroom ma- I had to get creative with classroom management absolutely because culturally like the way that they are managed is by being yelled at yeah and by like pounding the whiteboard, the whiteboard like with making the ruler noise. especially making the markers right being being the loudest person in the room basically as a very quiet american female i am never going to be loud enough to be the loudest person in the room no I don't have all my conversations at shout level. So, <laughs> um, I lost my voice, I think, at least three times my first year. Either from lost dryness or regularly. like shouting. And those actually were my best classes <laughs> because I couldn't talk. And so all of, you know, that whole like when you can't talk or when you talk really quietly, everyone else gets really quiet. It sometimes works. Right. It was beautifully magical. And all of my fourth grade students, at least, felt really sorry for me. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, okay, we'll help you. We'll help you. We'll be so good. You're sick and you're here teaching us. And I was like, I'm not really sick. I just don't <laughs> have a voice. 
because I yell at you all the time. <laughs> but it doesn't register as yelling because... It's still so much quieter right. than anything your other teachers do. Mm-hmm. Classroom management was a challenge, and a lot of the things that people say will work in a lot of the books mm-hmm. don't work. Right. Um, and some of them are weird. Like, I remember reading in a book once saying, you know, to get your the attention of your students... Flick the lights on and off a few times. Well, in a country where the power goes out regularly, the lights going out don't signal anything. Nope. Like, you're not going to get anyone's you're attention. You're just, like, everyone just assumes, oh, yeah, the power went out, and, you know, and even if it flickers a little bit, eh, that's normal. Mm-hmm. And so I remember thinking, oh, I could try that. And then, like, nope, nope, that didn't do anything. Huh. All right, then. And so, like, taking some of those ideas of things that I had learned or read in books about classroom management, Mm -hmm. they don't all translate. Yeah, they don't. I feel like most of my creative solutions to classroom management came in later, Mm -hmm. like the following years. I actually requested, even though I really loved teaching my fourth graders especially, I requested to teach a different grade the next year. Um, I think I went up, so the class that had been fifth graders, that became sixth graders I requested to teach them because I was like I feel like I can't start over with the kids I have already been teaching Mm -hmm. but this group of kids doesn't know me at all and so I can start over with better like a better idea of how I want my classroom to run right and they'll respond to it right away because they don't know me as any other kind of teacher Mm -hmm. and definitely that starting out bit is really what, in some ways, is the most important. Mm -hmm. Like, getting super, super serious right off the bat, to the point where maybe your teammates question your sanity or your morality or your kindness. I definitely remember a teammate that during orientation, I think you and I and one other person were kind of talking about, like, the things that we did as teachers to, like, keep kids in line. and That really worked. <laughs> and being in, basically you're being intimidating to some extent. And she told me, like, months later after she had been teaching for a while, when you guys were telling those stories, I just thought that you guys were so mean. And, like, I wasn't going to have any of those problems because I was going to be really sweet and loving to my students. And they would love me and it would all go smoothly. She was like, but you were right. You gotta be mean. (laughs) And I was like, you have to start mean. Like, you have to start very serious and very strict and very no-nonsense. And, yeah, make sure that they, you know, you pay attention to the details and you follow Mm -hmm. instructions and you give instructions in a very minute and step-by-step way. The same way you were talking about the origami. Right. Like, I made my kids, and one of the biggest things... At the beginning, you know, teaching the kids to put their name in the same place on the paper. Because mm-hmm. for their teachers, you know, the other teachers, it's just anywhere, anywhere. they feel like it. Right. Along the edge, at the bottom. Um, on the back. On the back. Yeah. Like, no. I will be in a better mood when I grade your paper. If I can find your name, it's to your benefit right. to follow my instructions. So we're going to go over it every day for a week mm-hmm. at least. Name here, practice, do it, you know, right. class here, date here, assignment mm-hmm. name here, exactly like this. Now I'm going to come around and check you, every single person. Yeah. And like that kind of intensity and specificity and direction mm-hmm. can come across sounding really mean. Right. 
But once you establish those practices, mm-hmm. it makes everything so yeah. much better. And you don't have to do the same sort of intensity for every set of instructions all the way through the year. Mm-hmm. It definitely is a time saver in the long run. Like, yeah. it, it feels like a waste of time initially because you're like, I could be teaching them, like, other things. But you got to lay some groundwork. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was a problem that I came into teaching fourth grade literature is I had some expectations of like, oh, they're going to know this vocabulary or they're going to be familiar with writing complete sentences. They're (laughs) in fourth grade. And I had to go back and we had to start over with complete sentences and what makes a sentence and you need to capitalize and use punctuation. And so I think there's some... Those things helped them create complete thoughts for every literary concept or character quality that you Mm -hmm. came across the whole year. Yeah. Yeah. And just learning about, like, identifying the characters in the book and who are the primary characters and who are the secondary characters and all those little things that I felt like they should know this by now, but they'd never been taught any of those things because it's not something that was written down in their curriculum for them to have been taught by someone previously. Well, and their teachers for the, you know, for the most of their teachers are locals who are Mm -hmm. Kurds or Arabs who are speaking and teaching in a language that is not their first language, which is so impressive. Like some of these teachers are incredibly brilliant and talented people. But they also weren't necessarily taught literature in that way. Mm-hmm. You know, they were taught to memorize plot points or weird details about characters. Right. Whereas, you know, we tend to look at literature a little more holistically mm-hmm. and applicationally and, you yes. know, themes and characters and those right. kinds of stuff. I remember students struggling with short answer, and this was later, short answer questions where it was give your opinion questions mm-hmm. because they'd never been asked for their opinion before. Or if they were, what the teacher really wanted was the teacher's opinion. Right. And so they were like, I don't don't know what you want me to write. And I was like, your opinion. Tell me what you think. You're not going to get this question wrong unless you don't write anything. Yeah. Or you write, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. That's the only way you're going to get these questions wrong. And so I think that's a little bit of a a learning curve for first-year American teachers Mm -hmm. is you got to temper your expectations to some extent yeah and teach teach what you mean by your questions Mm -hmm. and teach what you know the foundations for being able to answer the kinds of questions you want to ask right right and being able to walk back a question that's too difficult and break Mm -hmm. it down and um, and help them learn to think through it mm -hmm. and I think all of those are really great teaching skills for any teacher mm-hmm. that I'm not sure that you necessarily learn. I don't know. I, I'm not a, educated as a teacher. So maybe they do teach you that in teaching school. And teaching school. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was kind of learn as I go. Mm-hmm. For me too. To some extent. Which made me a better teacher, I think, in some ways. Um, I mean, I definitely became a much better teacher than I was my first year. Oh, yeah. I would say felt like I got to be a better teacher each year I was teaching. Mm-hmm. And I would hope that that was true for most teachers. Yeah. 
Yeah, so the first year can be really tough. It's usually the hardest. But if you make it through, <laughs> everything from then on out is just, it's just cake. It's so easy. <laughs> no, there's, there's new challenges. <laughs> there I are mean, new challenges. There are sure. other things that happened each year after that. Granted, we never had a fire again. Oh, that's but, good. Um, I never had a classroom of 56 students again. There you go. But yeah, each year has its own challenges. There's always some crisis. Yeah, that first year learning curve can be hard. And not just because you're teaching, but also because you're learning culture and all those things. Yeah, Um, learning how to live, mm -hmm. where to buy your groceries, and how to Mm -hmm. cook with different stuff. And And how to live with new people. and How to substitute things. So it's hard, but it's worth it. And the lessons that you learn kind of go with you throughout the rest of your teaching career. Find us at Servant Group International on Facebook or Instagram or on our website at servantgroup.org. Yeah, and if you have a question that we haven't answered yet, send us an email or Facebook message. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Tell the (laughs) note. So we're reading the the Odyssey. And this kid looks over at the girl who was reading, and he was like, Oh, you're reading so slow. I forgot how to speak English. <laughs> and I was just like, This is the funniest thing I have ever heard. <laughs>